Now, Swedish climate activist Greta Thunberg has been named Time Magazine's Person of the Year for 2019. At 16 years of age, she is the youngest person ever to get the accolade. And the magazine cover has a picture of her with the subheading The Power of Youth. So, to talk to us about Greta and The Power of Youth, we're joined by Killian Sherlock. And Killian is the presenter of News Today on RTE2. Killian, you're very welcome. Thanks, Brent. So Greta Thunberg has been named Time Person of the Year for 2019. Tell, tell us a little bit about, for, for, for anyone who's been living in a bunker, tell us <laughs> a, a bit about her background, where she came from, who she is. Yeah, so she's the face of a global movement and it, it all started when she was uh, just 15 years old. She was so concerned with what she saw as a lack of action on climate change that she decided to start sitting alone outside the parliament building in her home country of Sweden. That was August 2018, uh, but it wasn't long before she uh, was joined by others. So one became two, two became four, four became 40 and 40 became four million in September there this year. Um, She's, you know, afraid we're not doing enough to stop the worst effects of climate change. She's calling for um, more action, uh, greener industry and cleaner living. Um, She wants us to stop burning fossil fuels. And she's a simple message. You know, when she appeared in front of Congress in America, she said we need to listen to what climate scientists have to say. um, And we have to abandon what she described as a fairy tale economic system of endless growth. And I suppose one of the things that is kind of interesting about her because it, it she she does claim it as as part of the thing that that has has enabled her to do what she does is that she has I, I, she's on the autistic spectrum. Yeah, she says she has Asperger's syndrome and she sees that as an advantage which has allowed her to uh, think differently in the face of a climate crisis. She says her neurodiversity has allowed her to uh, speak truth to power and she's done just that like at the World Economic Forum in Davos in the World Economic Forum in Davos and during the UN Climate Change Summit in Katowice um, you know, she accused world leaders of, um, you know, having empty words and not doing enough to um, solve this problem. And you mentioned all these far-flung places and it's worth noting that unlike, say, um, you know, movie star environmental activists who fly in their private jets uh, around to climate conferences, she does not fly anywhere. No, so she's she's been getting around Europe by train. Uh, her whole family have given up air travel, which has actually been um, a bit of a problem for her mother, who's a famous opera singer, but that's what they've done. Uh, but now she's, you know, that's one thing getting around Europe by train, but she also had to go to the States for, you know, a UN climate meeting in New York um, and uh, the climate strike over there. And she did that on a zero carbon journey on, on a solar powered yacht. And that took her 15 days. And now obviously she did the same journey in the opposite direction to get back uh, to Madrid for the uh, COP25 meetings at the moment. And, you know, you started by saying this all started when she was just 15 and you're thinking this is a long time ago. It was August of last year. So it's been an extraordinary short period of time that she's come to such prominence. Does she deserve the the accolade of uh, Person of the Year? I think so. I mean, it's a magazine, you know, so they're entitled to do whatever they want. So, you know, <laughs> how much weight you we put into it. We must hold yeah. power to a comment on <laughs> this show. <laughs> but I, I definitely do think so. You know, the criteria they give for person of the year is the person or persons who's most affected the news and our lives for good or ill and embodied what was important about this year. And I think 
2019 has been a year of a climate awakening and political activation of the youth around the world. So not even on issues of climate <coughs> change, but we've seen young people in Iraq and Lebanon and Hong Kong and Chile, Chile. Actually, you know, there's protests in Chile, which are part of the reasons why COP25, you know, had to be moved to Madrid. Right. And she was also her decision to strike from school was partly inspired by the March for Our Lives movement, which saw, you know, young people leaving school. Um, for to protest for more uh, gun reform in America. And, you know, she's not directly associated with those movements, but time kind of sees her as symbolic of uh, political activation in our youth. So I, I really do think she deserves it, but it, uh, it depends who you ask. Yeah, yes, <laughs> she, she, she does trigger a certain type of, of middle-aged man, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, she does indeed. And, you know, Jair Bolsonaro, the president of... Brazil has called her a brat. I'm sure she would have her own choice words for him, as yeah. seeing that he's overseen some burning in the Amazon and some of the worst deforestation in, in over a decade. Uh, President Donald Trump as well has tweeted about her a couple of times, seemingly sarcastically calling her uh, a very happy young girl uh, looking forward to a bright future. And actually, when this announcement came out, he called it uh, ridiculous that she would be a uh, person of the year. And and she she's quite clever, though, in the way she hits back at Trump. So after he tweeted that, she then changed her, her kind of... Uh, uh, Twitter, Twitter, it, bio. Bio See, Twitter, he's not yeah. on Twitter after that. <laughs> 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 whatever you call that thing <laughs> we have an answer <laughs> yeah but um, you know and it is on Twitter and it is a certain kind of largely a certain type of person like older white men that are kind who aren't of, on Twitter <laughs> well no they are on Twitter and they're insulting her in kind of clearly coded sexist and ableist language like I'm not going to name them but certain columnists have said that she needs a spanking or that she sounds like a millenarian weirdo and like uh, Aaron Banks the UKIP uh, donor and millionaire Brexiteer when she was sailing across the Atlantic in August said uh, freak yachting accidents do happen in August and of course he'd say that that's a joke but um, I'm not sure why you would say that about anyone you know a teenage girl with you know a developmental disorder in Why particular. do you think she's bothering them so much? I think she represents a threat to the status quo that these people are living quite comfortably in um, and you know uh, it's it's um, it confronts them with their own inaction. So when a teenager says we need to be doing more or a teenager is doing more than we are ourselves, it can kind of seem like, um, you know, she's accusing us directly of not doing anything. And some people get quite defensive and anger, I guess, follows naturally from that. So you say that in, in general, uh, in, in your work now ar ar around uh, young people's mm -hmm. news, you you quite often seen negative comments online ab about children. Yeah, um, and it, it is that, like, uh, people don't like to see uh, children getting involved in issues that, you know, they don't agree with or, um, you know, they don't... Uh, seen a lot of kind of racist comments about, you know, uh, children celebrating diversity in their schools, like uh, through the Irish Traveller movements, yeah, Yellow Flag movement, you know, see some really disgusting kind of things online that, you know, I think it's great that children are getting politically um, mm -hmm. active and that kind of thing, but not everyone agrees, it seems. 
So tell us about news today. Yeah, so it's a uh, it's on every weekday after school at 20 past four. Um, a lot of schools actually use it as part of their daily routine. They'll watch it first thing in the morning, yesterday's show or at, a, at lunch break. Um, and we visit myself, um, we're a very small team, we've uh, two editors and myself and another presenter. And we visit like five schools a week. And it's a great way to find out what our young people are concerned with. Yeah, you know, either talking to them face to face or reading the emails that they send into us. We're kind of for eight to 12 year olds, but like, you know, we get artwork sent in from three year olds and some of our explainers on complicated topics like Brexit get uh, sent on to certain British prime ministers as well. So <laughs> I, I, believe, <laughs> I believe, in fact, he, he got his slogan from a three year old, get Brexit done, <laughs> well, was sent go. into him written in crayon. There you go. Um, yeah. And what, so what is concerning them? Yeah, so um, I, I, admittedly, I was actually quite su- surprised at the depth of understanding that, you know, children as, as young as eight have about some of the main issues like facing the world today. So when I first started, um, we, we heard a lot of children uh, concerned with homelessness. Like I've I've uh, went to uh, charities in Dublin where children were putting together packs of sanitary products to be handed out to homeless people in the city. But definitely uh, over the last year with Greta and everything else, uh, climate is, it, is it's huge. It's a big one with them. Yeah. And, and then apart from there's the school strikes, obviously, mm-hmm. how do they express their, you know, political activism? Kids? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, like in the kind of younger ones they have green school committees and you know these are really worthwhile and you know they're eliminating single-use plastics in their school or like taking plastics into eco bricks which is when you stuff a like a two liter bottle uh two liter plastic bottle full of uh, single-use plastics and these can be used for furniture or insulation or that kind of thing but i've also noticed that um as they get older um they're kind of seeing that you know, this individualistic approach is a bit facile. So, yeah. you know, they're turning up to Leinster House and they're calling for a change. You know, they're skipping school, uh, they're demanding action. And, you know, it's not going to be long until these people turn 18 and are going to be yeah. voters. You know? So you see it and it is big criticism often of these activist movements, <coughs> of the green movement that, you know, it, it's all about encouraging individuals to, to change yeah. their lives, but that actually you've got to go to the institutions. Mm-hmm. And these young people have twigged They've twigged that themselves, yeah? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I mean, um, you know, they're saying that this kind of carbon capitalism that we have, this um, need for growth, this needs to be changed. Like, you know, there's a real kind of smash the system attitude that I've heard from some of these people. You see, yeah, but now I'm not going to be like like uh, uh, one of these middle-aged men, but it <laughs> is very easy when you're a kid and you're well looked after at home to say, we don't need any more economic growth and smash the system. But yeah. yeah. But this is what they're uh, saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and, and, and you, you know, we should be idealistic when we're young. You also presented the Youth Assembly programme um, when the, the young yep. people all went down to draw. I just saw I just saw it on the news and it looked absolutely fantastic, I have to say. It was. It was part of the All 100 celebrations and also part of Ortiz on Climate uh, Week. But, you know, they invited young people from all across the country, 26 counties represented, to explain why they should be a part of it. And 157 were chosen and, you know, through a democratic process, they were taught how to debate and kind of refine their ideas. But then on the day they took over the doll, uh, 
all 157 seats full. Not often we see that. Um, and they boiled down their ideas to 10 recommendations which are available on rt.e forward slash youth assembly. Anyone can um, express their support. And, and quite them. smart uh, recommendations. Yeah, not, no. I don't mean um, to sound surprised, but you know, they weren't facile. Exactly. For anyone who thinks that, you know, um, they might just be, oh, we need to ban uh, plastic straws. No, they were like uh, quite um, nuanced ideas, but also common sense, like saying that in any store in the country, we should have doors over, like glass doors over refrigerators. So like, you know, to save energy. Um, there's also proposals on like hemp and, you know, we should be growing more hemp. There's um, ideas about introducing classes on biodiversity in school and that kind of thing. Do you think they feel they're being listened to? Um, in part, uh, yeah, that's another thing. And Greta kind of talks about this as well. Like, um, but also the activists in this country, they're they're sick of being told how great they are, and then seeing nothing happen. <laughs> okay. um, so you know, they kind of find it a bit patronising. But I think you know that event, like it was all over the news. A lot of people are talking about it. Thousands of people have supported their recommendations. So we're seeing a little bit of a little bit of that. Uh, just one one other side to this. You say, though, that you are hearing about more and more kids experiencing the eco-anxiety. Yeah, and I think it's not just kids. Like, I mean, I feel it myself sometimes, too. Like, But I think a lot of a lot of it, like, uh, we just assumed for so long that smarter people were going to fix this and we were just plodding along. But, you know, the signs are getting worse and worse and it's undeniable now. So Greta herself, when she was 11, that's when uh, her teacher... Um, showed kind of a slideshow of pictures about the effects of climate change and she went into a deep depression and stopped eating uh, because she was so badly affected by it and that's uh, contributed that kind of malnourishment contributed to her stunted growth so that's why she kind of is short she has such a short stature but really yeah that's that's something that was in the time article there so um it's amazing but we're seeing that when, within our kids like i've speak i've spoken to uh, we had childline on the show there during the weekend they're seeing that they're seeing more and more people more and more kids it's not a not a epidemic by any, mm-hmm. by anything but the, you know uh, children calling in about eco anxiety are, are we all friends of uh, Greta Thunberg in the panel well, Eamon well, Malley are, yeah. you, are you a certain type of middle aged man who's triggered by her threat no to I'm very call? very encouraged by this young lady yeah. and more power to her but the interesting thing uh, we did a programme uh, last year on the border and uh, one of my interviews was um, Martin Nocton and he was the most progressive, forward-looking individual, one of uh, Ireland, one of the biggest uh, manufacturers around the world. But he said, we have to, we have to, he said, protect the landscape and our environments for the next generation. And he said the, that's what Europe, Europe did for him as an industrial, as a manufacturer, forced standards upon him. And he said, we look at the bottom line, but I'm delighted that there's a, a policing body in Europe keeping an eye on what we're doing. So there you have Greta Thunberg, and here you have an octogenarian preaching the same message, which I think is wonderful. And I was so delighted to hear somebody like Mr. Nocton of Glen Dimplick speaking in, the, in these tones. Mm-hmm. But, uh, do you have a, a, a junior climate activist in, in your I house, I have a little Gina? climate activist that, yeah. lives, that lives with me. Her name's Lulu. She's 12 years old. But to pick up on what Eamon said, this idea of 
older people coming together and helping amplify and recognize the voices of the young people, I think, is really where the power lies, as opposed to creating, a, again, a divide between them. What Greta Thunberg is saying, and then when Donald Trump went out and tweeted against her, and then she changed her profile, I was mentioning this to my little activist daughter, Lulu, and she said, but that's cyberbullying, and isn't that what his wife, Melania, stands up, up against? I said, mm, yeah, but she didn't say anything about it. But becoming, have, watching these kids become more aware and amplifying their voice. I do a lot of work with UNICEF. For example, my daughter last year was on the UNICEF Youth Council and met with kids from Liberia, met with kids from Afghanistan, met with kids who have experienced not just climate injustices, but all sorts of social and civil and educational injustices and to heighten their awareness and then help bring them together, which, by the way, back to social media, they keep in contact through the different platforms and keep talking and raising their voices together. And last year I was down in Cape Town with the International um, Nobel Prize for, for Child's Rights and the March for Our Lives kids, now young adults, were the winners of that. And who was there on the stage with them? Archbishop Desmond Tutu. So you see so elder people and coming together, right and instead yeah. of being yeah. disparaging about them, help them and get them in the right direction so they can, with like Killian was saying, make real differences and get the people who are still embracing the status quo to start to make those steps toward incremental change. But you see, us poor people in the middle do kind of have to embrace the status quo because, it, you know... It, we can it, start making that, changes, though. We are at though. that point in life in many ways look, where my daughter, we responsibilities me. to look after the younger people and, and the older but people. But if we can do little things... Like my father saying, I'm subsidizing all <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, but Brendan, you know. if we can do little things to reduce our carbon footprint, for example, we were down in Powers Court House last, on Tuesday, my daughter's school was out for the teachers, we're doing some training, we went down to they they have an incredible climate environmental pro, um, program down there and, and experience and when she was starting to see all the statistics around it she came home and she said we already were no more plastic single plastic use bottles no problem but she also said those pods in your coffee maker mom those can't be recycled and unless you can find another one you got to toss it so we tossed it and we're on the french press now small little changes mm. but it does build us toward a greater Absolutely. goal Please. i, I want to make two points First is, Greta is an example of a finding of behavioural science written in geopolitics. So what we know from behavioural science is that people are more persuaded by emotional personal narratives than they are by statistics. What Greta has done is put an emotional personal narrative onto the face of climate change where 30 years of scientific statistics has failed to be persuasive. Yeah, and yeah, for a behavioural yeah. scientist for me, that is fascinating. And she, inor- and, she cut through. And, and brilliant. Yeah. She, she has cut through with the message, great. Now, here's the really important second point. As somebody who believes that climate change is the biggest problem we presently face and wants to see science and economics used properly by our political systems and by ourselves in order to try and solve that problem. The question now is, what does this bridgehead form in the end? Where does it go? And that's why things like the politics surrounding the Youth Assembly, which I'm doing some stuff with in January, I think this politics is so important and where the Greta story ends up because they've got to coalesce on solutions. Right. right? And now for me, interestingly, there is a tie-in with somebody who is definitely in the previous generation, Colin McCarthy's writing in the Sindo only today about the fact that at the moment, the yeah. way countries are trying to solve this problem of setting targets for each country is which politicians will slip past and will not 
be held to is not the right way to solve it. The way we've got to solve this problem is to get some proper economics into it, which means this. It means we have to make products that cause damage more expensive and signal why they are more expensive and price it out of the market. It requires regulation, tax, radical government action. And that means if we believe that climate change is a big problem, you've got to build the support for that. It needs the political leadership to change the way our economy works. It isn't about no more growth. It's about changing what you get so rewarded for. N- nudging people in a different not, No, not just nudging. Nudging, yes. Shoving. You, not, not, yes, but shoving too. So you've got to change the price things. You've got to mean, you've got to build an economy where if people want to produce products that pollute, the supplier that does that has to pay for that and the consumer that buys the product has to pay for it too. And you need to be signalling to both why that is fair and reasonable, that you cannot make those products that cause the damage they're causing without paying for them. And until we get those, those kind of solutions in play and it coalesces into that, we can't solve the problem. So what I desperately hope is that this movement starts to get some proper economics, some proper green economics, in fact, yeah. and then move forward behind solutions that are workable. And in terms of then... Uh Greta being very against the notion of economic growth. Where do you stand on that? Well, where I stand on that is being against economic growth is not going to help that movement to get the political support it needs. So that shouldn't be that we then dismiss that movement. The movement is brilliant. What we've got to do is engage with it. Mm-hmm. Right? What we have to do is engage politically with it, and it needs political leadership that moves it in a direction of saying, actually, there is a reasonable economic pathway to try and tackle this problem, part of which I'm trying to articulate here. Many, yeah. econ- I mean, yeah. I'm not saying yeah. anything radically. Most economists, yeah. including Colm, believe that this is the pathway we've got to go. What? 30 years ago, when, when I was doing economics in college, they were talking about the, the, the green economy, how this was going to be the newest source of competitive advantage. It's never happened up to now, but yeah, you get a feeling that actually it, it's starting to happen. And it, but like, is, it, is it going to be the next big so, stimulus for Europe? Well, it could be, but it's so important to be clear what we're talking about. I mean, I'm not talking about ploughing investment into wind and wave energy here. That's okay. not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the prices of basic products reflecting the ecological damage that they do. So that if we have things made out of single plastics, fine, but it's extremely expensive because of the damage that these things are doing, right? So that you change the incentive structures within the economy. Now, I'm a behavioural economist. Prices are not everything, right? What is signal to consumers is really, really important too. And I think we know enough from the evidence now that actually, if there are clear and simple signals to consumers about products that cause environmental damage, they respond to them. We've done work in our own lab at the SRI on this. If if the information is clear enough and simple enough, people change their buying behaviour because actually the large majority of people now are seriously worried about these problems. So they will pay a few more for something that's better um, environmentally, but actually we need to change the economy so they don't have to. So the stuff that causes environmental damage is more expensive yeah, because yeah. the people who produce it okay. and the people who are buying are paying for the damage that they cause. Patrick O'Kady, one of the things that Colin McCarthy mentions is, um, and I think this is coming on stream now, they, that uh, the air sector and the maritime sector are not being penalised at all at the moment for, for their use of fuel. He talks about the fact that I think he says he flew somewhere return a few months ago for 25 quid. No VAT on that, no, no nothing. And that, that, is, that is unsustainable, isn't it? The way we use air travel is unsustainable, isn't it? Well, uh, first of all, raised to 25 quid, uh, may well have been with Ryanair. Uh, oh, I believe it was. <laughs> I don't think they might have mentioned that. And, 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 and secondly, 
you can t- be damn sure there are taxes added to that 25 quid, quite frankly. Uh, there are uh, uh, EU regulation in relation to carbon emissions and so on for aviation. Uh, I'm not saying that shouldn't be stronger. It could and should be stronger. It's there came in about 2008, 2009, and uh, there are extra penalties there in relation to, to usage. There's a base uh, period used, I think it was about 2006 or 2007, was saying, okay, anything above this base period, you're going to be penalised, you're, you're going to be charged extra for it. Uh, I'm not as involved in aviation as I was for the past seven or eight years, uh, but um, I have no difficulty with aviation paying their fair share in yeah. relation to emissions. And, no problem whatsoever. And, and would you agree in general like that we have become far too willy-nilly about taking flights here and there and not, not thinking about the environment at all? Uh <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it's it's just back to the point you were making earlier. It's actually uh, consumer awareness and then consumers changing the goalposts. Can I just mention one thing here in relation to this? And I brought this up in the Shannon. In Galway Bay, we've got small cruise ships coming in uh, four, five, six, seven, eight times a year. And some of the people who swim in Black Rock, in, in, uh, in uh, Salt Hill, have come to me and I said, look, at every time a cruise ship comes in and leaves about a week afterwards there's a no bathing sign up in mm. Galway Bay mm. now the concern is that those cruise ships may well be dropping off their effluent in Galway Bay now let's step back and look at this and I haven't got I haven't got a no, clear we answer so we don't know that that's the case we don't know that's the case but I've asked the minister in and I still haven't got a clear answer on it quite frankly and the situation is are we actually then compromising if that is the case our our, our ecosystem in Galway Bay for uh, the economic benefit of a couple of hundred tourists. There are things that we need to balance up and make decisions. And, and, and of course, there's going to be massive, there are massive questions being asked about tourism. And, and if, if, if Venice is the canary in the coal mine there, and there's lots of other places turning out the same as Venice, t- tourism as we know it, the aviation side of it and the going to these places side of it is going to be turned yeah, on. But its also, head, what, we're, what, what uh, Tourism Ireland and Falch Ireland are promoting is. Ireland being a green tourist destination, yeah, yeah. you know, and we got to walk our talk in relation to that because to some degree we are compared to other countries. We've only got 4.7 million people, though, compared to 700 million or so on all of Europe. And then you've got Trump and the US going in the opposite direction. Like, we don't really have a huge influence. That okay. doesn't mean we shouldn't do our job. Well, we do as part of Europe. Yeah, Gina. I was just going to chime in when you were speaking about the aviation and, and Greta making her big statement by taking the, the boat across. And it's interesting that one of my, my clients is actually an IT organization, association that serves 90% of airports and aviation uh, the air, air, airlines in the world. And at their conference last, last month that I was facilitating, it was the hot topic of what do we do about how do we minimize the fuel burn when we're waiting on a tarmac? How, what can we use to help technology so that we can stop we can reduce our own carbon footprint because there are CEOs who used to be that I counseled really proud of the fact that they would fly from Hong Kong into to Dublin for their, yeah. their monthly meeting. But now, they, of course, they realize that a virtual meeting would be better for their f- carbon footprint. And so the airline industries and airports, too, are really actually starting to 
take on board what to do with this. But your I, question I'd say is, it's less like, about Pete, is how fast can they do it? Less about it's them the, being purposeful organizations well, and more pressure. than realizing the jig is up. Of is, course, is, of course, Ellen but that's the power Coyne. of pressure. On, on the flights thing, after the budget, actually, we had got people writing into Joe.e asking us to ask Pascal Donoghue why there wasn't more in it to penalise people from taking flights. And I think he kind of indicated that it would have had to be something that was led by Europe, but he seemed to be in favour of it. And that is the kind of stuff that we need to see, even though, as Killian rightly said, it can't all be per, uh, put on personal and individual actions. But I think if the existential threat of maybe losing the planet isn't enough to make politicians pay attention, there's definitely an electoral kick up the hole coming because I was at the climate strike earlier on this year and you had 16 or 17 year olds standing up giving speeches uh, directly to politicians where they were mentioning their ages as if it was a threat because after the next election the one we're in coming. exactly after the next election the one in 2020 the one after that all these people are going to be able to vote and at that point in time if we have a stable government we'll be creeping towards 2030 when these young people want Ireland to have zero carbon emissions but I think at that point on current indications our emissions will actually be 3% up on where they already are and uh you know, the great thing about young people is they have an ideological purity and a tenacity that means that they will, those sorts of excuses will not be tolerated. They will electorally punish a government that doesn't get serious about climate action. Yeah, and you know, look, you don't want to be cynical, but we, we every generation was young and idealistic at a time as well. This crowd do seem fantastic, but you'd hope they'd, you'd hope they'd hold on to it, like as they, you know, grow yeah, up. Yeah, but and the go, world wasn't ending world, when other people you, were younger. Absolutely. Touche. Killian, uh, thanks very much for that. I just want to ask you one really quickly before you go. Have, uh, who are our Greta Thunbergs in Ireland? Who are the kind of big youth activists in this country? Oh yeah, well we have done, well we had 157 in the doll, but it's important to say that like a lot of the young climate activists here would say that they want their movements to be non-hierarchical. So they're you know I don't want to suggest that these people are like the leaders, but there's a few different groups like Fridays for Future Ireland, Extinction Rebellion, and the Schools Climate Action Network. And there's a few names that come up again and again. C O'Connor from Cork, Theo Cullen Moose uh, from Clare Island. Both of them are actually at COP25. Uh, they spoke to George Lee, our environment correspondent, and said they weren't very impressed with what they were hearing. Uh, there's Bette Doherty from Dublin and Erica Hedgie from Longford. Orty Jr. had a programme on a 12-year-old named Flossie Donnelly who's been travelling the world to highlight the you know level of plastics in, in our oceans. So lots and lots of really impressive young people here. Uh, but without getting too sentimental, working on news today has shown me that you know our young people in general are really inspirational. Really, yeah, they are fantastic. Thanks, OK, Killian Sherlock, thanks very much. And we'll take a break. Podcast, the Marion Finucane Show at rte.ie slash radio.